You're listening to a message from New Life Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Thanks, Renee. Thank you. Well, good morning. Good morning. Thank you, uh, Renee, for leading us, Jeremy leading us, and a tribute to our veterans. Again, I want to personally thank all of our veterans for your service to this country, really to this nation, and for all of us. Uh, we live in a great country, and uh, God does bless America, and I love this place. I don't know how many saw my response to the election. It was in Facebook. It went on on our Family Weekly. I hope you read it. If you haven't read it, I want you to take a little time and read it. One of the things you may not know about my call, the call of God in my life, and I, I felt it important to tell you that today. For 28 years, I've served this church, and for 28 years, I have a commitment, and really, it is my, my life verse. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. It says, For I determined not to know anything else among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I know during election years, there is a lot of passion There is a lot of press. In fact, people have come to me and told me I need to support a particular party or a particular ideology. I've never done that in the 28 years that I've been the pastor here at New Life Foursquare Church, and I don't plan on doing that in the future because this is what I believe. I believe in Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I believe that the main thing is the main thing. And where I support you is I pray God's Holy Spirit work in your life to help you be, get, be good citizens of heaven and good citizens on this planet. Listen, I want you to know this. I trust the Holy Spirit in you. I trust what God speaks to you. I trust what God is leading you to do, and I get behind that. I support that in Jesus' name. This is what we're about here at this church. It's about Jesus Christ and him crucified. Can you say amen to that? Amen. amen. I love Jesus. I really do, and I'm so thankful. He has, uh, he has given me this call, and I cannot, because I've made a covenant with the Lord, I cannot, I'm compelled, I'm constrained by the Holy Spirit never to use my voice or the platform that I've been given to speak of anything else except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And that's what I will continue to do. God is good, and I'm so thankful for His goodness and and His salvation. Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. How many came last week? You came last week? Good for you. You returned, even with a warning. You returned. I'm so thankful that you were here because today we're going to talk about that four-letter word that is a five-letter word. It's the word tithe. And so if you're our guest, you're visiting here today, um, listen, we do take time and we talk about money matters and we deal with things like that every now and again. But I want you to know that this is something that I think is dear to our hearts because what we're doing is we are in week two of living a generous life. So what I want you to do is I want you to take out your sermon notes, open your Bible to Malachi chapter three. And some of you are saying, where in the world is Malachi or Malachi, as some may call it? It is the last book in the Old Testament. It's really easy to find. I mean, it's amazing. I think a book like Malachi would be hidden somewhere else, but it is Very easy to find. It's the last book in the Old Testament. Now, I want to ask a question. How many know that God's word is infallible? It's without error. How how many know that God's word transforms us? You You know that? Yeah, we do. And how many know that God's word speaks to us today? 
that we believe God's word is alive, it is sharp, it is breathing life into us. Well, Malachi is considered a minor prophet. He's considered a minor prophet not because the word that he brings is minor or insignificant. It's because of the length of the book. It's four chapters long. But it's probably one of the most powerful four chapters. This word is powerful. And I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase. I grew up hearing this phrase. Dynamite comes in small packages. I think they're talking about Malachi. I mean, when it comes to the Bible, they're talking about this four chapters in the Bible. They're talking about Malachi. Malachi's words were so powerful powerful then and they are today. I told you last week that I really believe this is a word not only about tithing, but Malachi's words are to us today. Just what he speaks, what he's sharing to the body of Christ and then his people Israel. What is he saying to us today? Well, it was written to God's people who were wandering Um, who had slipped back in their faith, leaders who were arrogant, families that were falling apart, and probably the most despicable of all in God's eyes was worship to God was half-hearted. And God responds with his solution. What he says is this. He says, return to me. He says, you want to know how to get right? You want to know how to line your life up so that you're blessed, you're prosperous, that you're living a generous life, return to me. The answer isn't your religion. The answer is not your politics. The answer is a relationship with God. Malachi says, return to God. In chapter 1, return to God in our faith. In chapter 2, return to God in our families. In chapter 3, return to God in our finances. And in chapter 4, and I love this, it's about God returning to us. (laughs) It's about God returning to his people. Now, we're going to spend some time in chapter 3, returning to God in our finances. Now, here's the reality. We are all naturally born getters. That's just the sin nature. We want to get, get, get. We are not naturally born givers. That's true today. It was true during Malachi's time. The word tithe had become, again, a four-letter word with five letters. Now, I don't know how often you say that word, you know. I think about it. When I was actually saying this and preaching this out loud, I do that every now and again in my office. I was saying the word tithe, and I thought, man, I don't say that enough. I don't say that often. And like I do with the kids before football, you know how you give them warm-up drills, and the warm-up drills you want to give them are practicing what they'll actually do in the game? That's what we do. And so I want you to just say the word with me, tithe. Wow, you did it good. Just kind of get your lips aren't used to going there sometimes. Your tongue's not used to saying things like that. But it is a wonderful word. It is the word tithe. Returning to God in our finances is where we have a tendency to compartmentalize. I've done it in my life. I think you've probably done it in your life. God is in one category. Separate from him is my finances in another category. And we try to live in these certain compartments. But really, if we get true worship to God, we're going to get the money thing as well. We really will. You know, when I was younger, uh, immature in my faith, what I would ask is I would ask the question, can I? Can I? Can I get away with some? Can I? What can I do to find the loophole? What can I do to find the technicality? What can I do to find the lowest threshold to get from A To be. That's usually what immaturity will cause us to do. When in fact God is saying to us, you should be asking the question, what should you be doing? What should I be doing? What does God's word say I should be doing? The book of Malachi, he's addressing people who are saying, what can I do 
to get away with the least amount as possible. That's who he's addressing. Instead of people who are saying, God, we love you so much that what we want to do is what should I do to please you? What should I do to give you my devoted worship? And listen, as believers today, the faster you can change from what can I to what should I, the better off your life will be. Guaranteed. You might be asking, well, why is this a big deal? Why is this a big deal? Well, it's not a big deal. It's a huge deal. This is bigger than a big deal. This is a big, huge deal, and and I need to get a hold of it. And so when we read Malachi chapter 3, I want you to look, beginning at verse 6, and we're going to read through verse 12. Now, I want to warn you up front. This guy is direct, man. Malachi only had four, four chapters. I don't know who told him to do this. Say, Malachi, you only have four chapters. Get it all in, baby. Get it all in. And he does. He gets it all in. He packs it all in. And this is what he says beginning at verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough in it to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Look at verse 8. Look at what it says. It says here, what can I get away with? Verse 8 is saying, you have talked and asked the question as Israelites, of people who are followers of God, what is it I can get away with? What's the least? What's the technicality? Instead of saying, what should I? What should I do that pleases God? And I think that's a good question for all of us to ask in all of our endeavors. It's not just about the money. It's about how I live my life. It's about how I worship God. If you want to get the most out of your life, if you want to live a purpose-filled, God-purpose-filled life, then the question we ask is, God, what is it? What is it I should do for you? God, show me. Give me your direction, and I'll follow you. That is worship. And look at verse 10. It says, God says to his people, test me in this. Now, how many know this? If you've been around a while, you've heard this passage preached before. Uh, It says, test me here. Uh, This is the only time that God says to his people, hey, you can test me on this. There's other places God says, don't test me on this one. (laughs) Don't test me on this one or I'm going to make you a crispy critter. That's what he's saying. I mean, there are times God is really direct. You better not test me on this. I'm telling you what, you better not open your mouth. You better not test me. Here's the one place in all the Bible he says to you, he says to me, go ahead, test me. Try it out. Take it for a spin. See how it works for you. Because why? God's promised, and he says there will be great blessing when you try it out, when you test him in this. Listen, we cannot talk about worship to God without talking about our money. 
We can't talk about worshiping God without talking about our finances. And I want to say this. I want to be very clear about this. Please remember, it's never about the dollar. It's always about devotion. It's always about our devotion to Jesus Christ. It's about our devotion in following him. So here's some truths that I want to talk to you about tithing. And I think it's important we understand what are the biblical truths. What's the framework here? What's the foundation? Number one truth is this. Tithing is about trusting. Listen, there, there's no panic. I want, I want you to be very clear. God doesn't need your money. He, like, he's not holding a board meeting right now in heaven where he's panicked about keeping on the lights. You know, and he's saying, whoa, guys, we've got to get together. Gabriel, hey, you guys, all you guys, you know, the big hitters, come on into we, I'm really worried that we just don't have enough up here. He's not panicked. You, you don't see God up there going, oh, my gosh, I am so panicked with what you guys will or won't do. No, he's doing this so our lives would be blessed. Our lives will be full. He's full. He's full to overflowing. He owns what the Bible says, a cattle on a thousand hills. That's what I used to hear my grandma say all the time. God has everything that he needs. He's not worried about the budget up in heaven. In Malachi 3, 6 and 7, it says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. I'm going to stop right there. That, that, that is an amazing thing there. You know, that what does it say here? It makes a, a statement, a fact. The Lord does not change. In fact, you'll see it out in our lobby, Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. I am so glad that he does not change. You know why I'm glad? I'm glad he doesn't change because everything else around me changes and I change. You know, I'm not like I used to be. I'm not as young as I used to be. Canby Bible College wanted to do a little promotional, so they asked me to get, me an, get them an old baseball picture of me. And there it is right there. That's I was 18 years old. I can't even bend down like that anymore. I, I mean, I'm watching that guy do that. And I'm going, wow, that's on pretty good knees right there. These knees aren't so good right now. I mean, I've changed. You've changed. God hasn't changed. Now, some of us don't want to, some of us say, well, I'd rather stay in the past. And that's, this is what it looks like if you stay in the past. You've got to check this out right here. That's what it looks like when you hang out in the past. And you don't want to go there, man, I tell you. Man, I picked that chick up in the lobby. Thank you for the church here. I love the girls that attend this church. There's one right there. That's my wife for those that are visitors, by the way, okay? Some of us just get stuck in the past. We don't want to change. And I'm telling you what, God never changes. He never changes, but he's always relevant. He never changes, but he's always current and up to date with you. He never changes. His forgiveness is always available. You know, the photo of God, when he spoke through Malachi then, is the same photo you would see today. It hasn't changed. God does not change. He is grace-filled today. He was grace-filled then. He'll be grace-filled in the future. Now look at the word decrees in verse 7. It's kind of a, a, <clears throat> a legal term. We, got caught, we get caught up in that. We, we need to understand this word because it tells us how important tithing is. God is telling us that this is a best practice. I want you to say that. Just say best practice. That's really what the word decree means. So if you want to get away from some of the legality or the legal terms, just plug it in. Just say best practice. Does that sound, does that sound better to your ears? It sounds easier to say. And you know what it means. It means best practice. Why does God give us this decree, this best practice? I want you to look at the phrase, return to me. 
You have to connect the dots here. God is telling us that when tithing is a best practice, we get closer to him. That this is a way we worship him to draw close to him. It's not the only way, but he's saying this is a way, full-heartedly, that you can come when you give me the tithe. He says, here's a way you can worship me. Literally, the word decree, again, means, and I'll give you the full definition, a clear communication of what someone should do. Not what they, trying to get away with the, what they can do, the least amount. It is accepted practice or a prescription of ordinary behavior. This is the way we should live. This is the best practices of life. And God lays them out for us in part in Malachi chapter 3. It's the healthy, ordinary, regular thing to do for those who are serious about staying close to God. For those that are serious about being worshipers of God. Here's what tithe is to me. Let me tell you what it is for me personally. It means God saying to me, you know, I love you so much. And I love you enough to test your heart to see where it is. <laughs> and tithe is one of those things that really does. If there's nothing else that tests your heart, uh, tithing will test your heart. And God says, I'm, I, I love you enough that I want to keep you on track. So what I'm going to do is I am going to put best practices. I'm going to put them out for you and say, here they are. Tithing is a best practice Now, when it comes to be difficult for you to do that, your heart will be tested. How many know that our hearts are always tested during difficult times? Yeah, that's just the way God works. And that we find out, and I'm so thankful, I find out what's in my heart. Lynette and I had been married, I think, just it was the first month we were married. We were married in um, 19, blah, 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 in March 19, (laughs) and um, that's when we were married, a long time ago. And uh, we sat down together when we were figuring out our bills. What we recognized is we had a, a utility bill that was coming in, and the utility bill was actually the same amount as what we would tithe. We knew that the utility bill needed to be paid within four or five days, but what we wanted to practice was tithe. We wanted to practice first fruit. We wanted to give it first and trust God. That was the first test of our marriage. I mean, it came. And believe me, those tests will come quick, guys. They're right around the corner. I mean, I don't, uh, you know, we'd only been married a month, and here we are. We're trying to deal with this. And we looked at each other, and we said this. We said, we have to commit to this. This is a best practice. We have to do this. And so what we did is um, we tithed, again, which was the amount of our utility bill. Four days later, we get a, a, a late wedding present. And guess what it was? The same amount. The utility bill was. It was even a kind of an odd number. And it was a woman that wrote to us and says, oh, I'm so sorry I didn't get you this on your wedding day, but God told me to send this to you. So here it is. Don't know why I'm doing it all together, but here it is. And that's what happened. And that was really one of our first tests. And can I say this? We have tithed, tithed for 38 years. It is our first fruit. This is the way we live. It is a best practice for us. You know, I'm a parent. I'm a grandparent. How many parents have found out that sometimes you keep saying the same things over and over and over and over again? Parents, grandparents, I mean all the time. You keep repeating it over and over. and Clean your room. 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 And I'd go into my boy's room and, I, and my girl's and I would walk in and I would look. Okay, I'd look around. It wasn't clean. I'd look around. This is what I'd always do. I'd say, man, you guys need to fire your maid. And they kind of look at me and I say, yeah, because your maid not doing a very good job in here, man. It is a mess. 
we're the ones. I said, yeah, you need to fire yourself because you're so bad at this, you know? Clean your room. Please clean your room. Do you know in Scripture, God keeps saying things to us over and over and over again. Not, not because he's mad at us. I don't want you to misunderstand. He's not mad at us. It's because he knows it's really important for his kids to hear. He keeps saying some things over and over and over again because they're important to hear. And so here's the next truth. Tithing is biblical. Let's repeat it. Look at Malachi chapter 3. I'm going to read. uh, I'm going to begin at verse 8. It's actually 8b to 10 that I want us to look at. But will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, uh, there, that there may be a, a, a food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if it will not throw open the floodgates of heaven, pour out uh, so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I, I, I love that. That's a wonderful promise. I'm sure that there isn't a person in this room that would think or purposefully say, you know, I'm robbing God. I, I, don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that we say, well, yeah, we're going to intentionally rob God, which explains the question that is asked here, then how, how are we robbing you? So the question is kind of like, how? So we're robbing you. Wow, we didn't know we were robbing you. <laughs> Sorry about that. But how are we robbing you? In verse 10, God uses the word bring. Notice that word. I want you, if you can, circle it, underline it, do whatever you can. God uses the word bring He doesn't use the word give. Now, it would be natural to use the word give. It would make sense to use the word give. He doesn't use the word give here. Two different meanings. Two different implications to giving and bringing. And you need to be very clear about what they they are here. God is saying, bring the whole tithe. And the word give implies that it's yours. The word bring implies that it's God's. So God is saying, hey, just bring me what I've already given you. I've given this to you. Just bring me a tenth of it. Okay? Another illustration. You have ten donuts, man. God gave you ten donuts. So you got to say, here, I want you to have ten donuts. You, you can eat whatever your favorite donut is, you know. And God then says to you, hey, just bring me one donut back. Stop. Want a little snack. But here's what it'll do. If you give me one donut, it'll keep your greed in check. If you give me one donut, it'll help your generosity. If you give me one donut, you're going you're gonna to express worship to me practically in giving. Just give me a donut. That, that's what he's saying here. He's saying, bring it to me. He's not saying give it to me because giving again implies that you own it already. You don't. Bring implies God already owns it. He's just asking you to bring you. Bring, bring one-tenth. Just give me one donut. That's what God is saying here. He's saying, bring God, it's saying, bring God what is His, and that's 10%. So here's some key words used in this passage. We have already talked about it the word tithe. If you haven't caught up with this, the word tithe means first 10% of a whole. The word first is important. And the reason it's important, again, we go back to the Bible. The Bible uses 30 times in Scripture, God uses the term first fruits. 30 times He uses the first fruits. He says, bring me. The first fruits. When it is the first thing, it's tithe. So when he's saying, you got it, and the first donut you give is my donut. Do you got it? Are you following me? Picture that. That is the first fruits. That's the tithe. 
But what happens then if I get everything and I say, well, I got to pay this and I got to pay this and I got to pay this and I got to pay this. Well, this is what I got left over, so this is what I'm giving to God. That's called a tip. That's called a tip. You ate the main meal, you look around. I know I was supposed to give 10 or 20, but man, I only got like, I only got $3.12. Well, that's what they're getting. A tithe is a faith giving. It's first fruits. When you give God something after you've given everyone else something, it's called a tip. And you have to ask the question, do I tithe or do I tip? Do I give God the leftovers or do I give him the first fruits? And you see that word curse, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's, well, I'm going to look at that in just a minute. But some people have asked me, well, is this gross or net? <laughs> then I think, okay, what can I, what should I? Um, can I say this? Grosser nets. I would ask you the question. This is a question I'd ask back. I'm going to be like Jesus here because Jesus asked questions back. Well, is it gross or net? I would just say this. I would say, what does your heart tell you? Are you trying to get out of something? What are you trying to do here? Now, put it in this framework, and I have to. I've done this for me, so I'm saying this to you. Can you imagine God coming up to us? He never did this. And say, when he sent his son, well, do you want the best? Or do you just want something sloppy over here? When God gave his only begotten son, he gave his best. Gave his first fruits. See, he practiced first fruits. God practiced what he preaches. He gave us the first fruits. The word curse, go back to that. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? We don't, that's another word. I don't want to talk about curse. I don't want to hear it in church. La, 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 la. Can I tell you what curse is here? When we think about the word curse, it it, it doesn't say God is cursing you. You know what it says here? You know what this means? It's a consequence of ignoring God's best practices. it's, It's reaping and sowing. It's a rule. It's a principle. It's fundamental. God isn't coming and saying, I curse you. You know, because some of you see that going, ah, God cursed. No. God is saying Here, when you are living with best practices, there's blessing. When you ignore best practices, there's a cursing. That's your choice. You make the decision. That's something that you have to decide. So here's what a lot of good Christian people say about tithing. So I'm trying to anticipate some of the things I used to do and some of the things I might even hear today. Well, I don't need to tithe. That's the law. That's the Old Testament. Now, I'm not in the Old Testament. Thank God I'm living in the New Testament. Well, if you keep talking like this, you sound like you're living in the Old Testament. <laughs> no. So I would ask the question, well, what's the motivation behind that statement? Is that a statement of generosity or a statement of greed? Is that a statement of what should I or what can I get away with? So let's address that statement. Let's look at it biblically. Let's, let's be fundamentally sound, and we look at tithing through the Bible. Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20. God comes to Abram, and this is 500 years before the law. What is Abram doing? He begins the practice of tithing before the law ever exists. And then his descendants, Jacob, in uh, Genesis 28, 22, Jacob, 400 years before the law, is tithing. And then you come to Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. The law is given, and part of the law is because it's been a best practice. God says, let me put it in the law, because you guys really gain from best practices. This is a good one. I want to put it in the law. 
in Leviticus chapter 27. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says, this is something you should do. You should do this. You should practice this. Hebrews 7, 8, it's the early church uh, affirmation of tithing. You can, listen, you can, I want to talk to parents and grandparents briefly here. I'm so committed to this. Because I've experienced the blessing. You know who the, you know who the tithing evangelists are? <laughs> Those that are the most passionate about it? Those who do it. They're passionate about it. I'm passionate about it because I've lived all my life, and then in my married life, 38 years, I've raised my kids, raising my grandkids to know best practice in tithing as just a great way to worship God. It's a great way to worship God. So here's what I'm saying. With all that, this is what I'm saying. You can set something in motion for generations to come when you teach your children to do this. See, I hear people say in the church, we, you know, why do we live in such a greedy society? Why are we so narcissistic? You better look at your own practices. I think this is connected somehow to all of it. Have we taught our children and our children's children the best practices of giving and tithing. Have we taught them that? Because the Bible says, hey, that'll, that'll prevent a lot of things from happening when you do this. It is a heritage. It's something we pass on. I've told this story before. My grandfather in the Depression time working on a tractor in a bean field. Man, mean old cuss, smoke, drunk. He was a drunk. He just, God, he was just he kicked the dog every morning. He's just a mean man. Gets up, gets on his tractor. He's driving his tractor. He hears somebody say, come to me. Come to me. And he thinks someone's picking a fight. That's my grandpa. He gets off the tractor and he's looking around. He's going, hey, let's go right now. Let's throw down. You know? And he doesn't see anybody. He gets back on the tractor. Here's that same voice. Gets off the tractor and he starts, you know, a few explicative, expliff, what is it? A few cuss words. And he says, um, what the, get up here. He never sees anyone. He realizes that's the voice of God. You know what he does? He gets on his knees in a bean field accepts Jesus in his heart as Lord and Savior. Leave, I don't know why he did this, but he left the tractor and ran home. Maybe the tractor was slow. But he ran home, gets to his wife, looks at his wife, and he says, today we start to tithe. What? I mean, there's a lot of things I'd say, but that's not one of them. We get all excited. Oh, hallelujah, God, I feel so good that I've been saved. That's you do. But he says, I want to start best practices. That day he never smoked again, he never drank again, he never cursed again, and he started tithing. I think starting tithing was the greater miracle out of all that. I mean, you know, I really do. What did he do? He put something in motion for me who did not know him yet. He put something in motion for my life and my children and my heritage. And I can say this, I, I, we struggle all with selfishness, but in general, my family is not a selfish family. They're generous people. I'm so thankful someone had the courage to do that for me. So tithing is connected to both the Old Testament and New Testament, passed on to us in the local church. It's an investment that helps launch the gospel into the world. When Paul took giving, when he took tithe, what was he doing? He was saying, bring it to me, bring it to this church so we can do what? Spread the gospel. We can go into other churches. Do you know you live in a launch pad? You're part of a launch pad church 
that what happens here, and people ask me, and it was a great question. Someone wrote me a little email last week. What does tithe do? What does offering do? Can you explain those to me? And I said, sure. When you give tithe, that's a general fund. What happens is it gives us the ability here to launch the gospel, <laughs> to shoot the gospel into all kinds of other nations and all kinds of other places that maybe it wouldn't get otherwise. Does that make sense? That's exactly the way Paul operated. We have launched the gospel in a bunch of different places. We've gone all over the nation. We've planted churches as far east, as far east as you can get. It's uh, New York, uh, Buffalo, New Aurora, Kentucky. We planted a church in Colorado. Uh, Dave and Annette Pollison went on that. You know how people just picked up from it? It surprised me. When we started launching Transcontinental, people would go, can I go? <laughs> you really want to go? Yeah, I want to go. This is the nature, this is the DNA that God has put into this place. It's investing to make disciples who make disciples. In this community, you see it. It happens. In, re, in the region, around the world, it's happening. It's happening. It's an investment you make into the kingdom of God. So let me ask you a question. Someone knocks on your door, say about 30, 40 years ago, knocks on your door. You, if you're around then, you open the door, and it's a young Steve Jobs. <laughs> and he says, hey, uh, would you like to be an inv- investor? You know, in my, in my company, it's this little kind of little thing that I got going. It's in my garage, by the way, right now. But you, you want to give to that? Knowing what you know now, do you think you would have? How many would say if you know what you know now, you would have given to that little boy or that young man standing at your door? Yeah, 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 you would. You have the same opportunity because when you go to the back of the book in Revelation, you know who wins. You know how this is going to come out. You know where your investment's going. That's incredible. So Jesus is knocking on the door of my heart and saying, hey, you want to invest? I'm saying, absolutely. This is a sure deal, a surefire deal. And I'm going to finish with this, the last thing. Tithing is a blessing. Tithing is a blessing. Verse 10 through 12, uh, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse uh, that uh, there may be uh, food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Over the years that I um, have pastored, I usually hear two reports, and I'm going to tell you the reports that I hear. I hear the reports that come from non-tithers that say, I can't afford to tithe. Then I hear the report that comes from tithers that say, it's a double negative, I can't afford not to tithe, I'm blessed. That's the reports. Those are the two categories that I hear reports. Now, here's something important to understand. Can I say this? Tithers don't have more money. They don't have more money than non-tithers. They just have different priorities. Did you hear that? I want you got to hear that. Tithers don't have more money. So you can say, well, they got more. No, tithers don't have more money than non-tithers. They just have different priorities. And yes, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a tithing evangelist. And you only hear this, I think this is the first time I've preached on tithe in five years. Shame on me. So you're not gonna, this isn't something we come and drive home to get our way. I don't care about your wallet, I care about your heart. 
This is what makes us healthy. This is what launches us into the things that God has for us. Annette and I, can we say, we are tithing evangelists. We tell our kids. We tell our grandkids. Anyone who wants to ask us. They talk to us. What do you think? We say, hey, here it is. This is the best practice. We've seen it in our lives. We've experienced it. The other thing you need to know, this church ties as well. We give 10%. We're not asking people to do something we don't do. It's a discipline of our community, of our corporate time together and beyond. We tithe. We give 10% and beyond. So we give more than 10%, but we give a tithe. The first fruits is what we give. So what happens? There are three blessings that God promises. Here are the blessings. You want to know where they are? Number one. Heavenly provision. How can, it, can I say, when God provides heavenly for you, I like the way he describes it. He doesn't say, I'm going to eke out some provision for you. I'm just going to give you enough so you can barely get by. You know what? You're going to just be poor for Jesus. He doesn't say that. doesn't say that. What does it say? I will open. <laughs> Have you ever seen floodgates open? Have you ever seen the Bonneville Dam when it's closed and then they open the floodgates? Whoa! It's not only incredible, it's powerful. It's awesome. I'm watching that going, wow, there's nothing more powerful on this planet. My granddaughter says, Grandpa, what's the most powerful thing on the planet other than Jesus? Yes, other than Jesus. I say, it is water. Powerful. Floodgates open. That's the imagery you should have of blessing that God will bring to you. He opens the floodgates. And this is the second. There's a second blessing. Potent protection. He will prevent the canker worm. He'll prevent the locusts. He'll prevent them from doubt pests from devouring your crops. So there's not only the plus side of things. There's how about the side of things that God says, you know what? Whatever you, you, you have, you're gonna, it's going to just last longer. You know? Um, you throw those sandals on your feet, you're walking through the wilderness, those sandals aren't going to wear out. I'm going to take care of you there. I'm going to take care. How many testimonies have I heard? Wow, God just has made this, this little car that I've got. I've had this car for 50 years. Thomas Edison gave it to me. Or, yeah. <laughs> Ford gave it to me. I mean, one of those guys gave it to me. And I'm, I'm, why? God says, hey, he will help things last too. It prevents pests. And then here's the third blessing, and I'm going to finish with this. It's divine pleasure. Delightful. I, people who do this, people who are generous, who live a, a generous life, they're just lighthearted, a little more lighthearted than the rest of us. They're, they, kind of, they, they walk with a little you know, pop in their step. Why? They're happy. It says delightful. They're full of joy uh, that God gives them. There's a blessing. There's a blessing. My little grandson, Jack, he plays soccer, plays football. He's not an animated kid. He's really kind of a straight-faced kid. And, but, but he scores, I'm going to tell you, he scores a lot of touchdowns. He scores a lot of goals. He's just a quick little rascal. And so he's running all over the field. He will never, he'll never shove it in anyone's face. He'll never get excited. He never gives everyone five. But he does do this. I'll watch him. He'll score a goal. He'll be walking back, and he'll go like this. <laughs> Every time. That's his. That's his way of... Whoa, whoa! That's his. That's his spike in the ball. It's just a little, hop, a little lighter in the step in the britches there. He has a little hop. I, I think that when you you tithe, <laughs> you're not slamming it down all the time. But you know what? You're walking along. And you go get a little little hop to your step. Why? Because the load is lighter. God is blessing you. Listen, living a generous life. 
Tithing is about trusting. Tithing is biblical. Tithing is a blessing. Would you bow your head with me? Father, we just want to thank you for the time that we've been able to spend together uh, to worship you. And thank you for the generosity that has been so part of this church, past, present, and we pray for our future. Lord, we thank you that you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the main thing. And Lord, we want to be true worshipers of you. Help us. Give us strength. In Jesus' name we pray and we say amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.